Hey everybody, it's Tim. Welcome or welcome back to the LOH Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, I ask you to please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and our YouTube channel, where you can access all our message content. Most importantly, I hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in the faith journey. Enjoy. I'm uh, in a second part of a, of a message started last week called From Ta- Trauma to Testimony. And as I said last week, um, I was going to kind of launch a vision cast at the first of the year, but then I just felt the Lord just come real close to me and talk to me about people that are hurting. Um, we've had unbelievable uh, astronomical viewing numbers over the past uh, little while. I don't even want to say how many n- numbers, but they're like mind-blowing numbers of people watching and sharing the message and, and the, the service. It's just, and uh, really since the Lord's close presence in our midst, and I've been sensing that through the week, Look, and it's all been about this uh, reminding me uh, about how his heart for the hurting. And, and then I came across a passage that I've read a million times uh, from Matthew 9. And in Matthew 9, it says, seeing the people, and that phrase right there gets me, about Jesus, seeing the people. He felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited. Last week, we used the translation said they were helpless and harassed. Like sheep without a shepherd. And I looked up uh, a paraphrase, the, uh, Eugene Peterson's message version, and it says This came after Jesus had made a circuit of all the towns and villages, and he taught in their meeting places, reported the good news of the kingdom, and healed their diseased bodies, healed their bruised and hurt lives. Healed their bruised and hurt lives. If if you are one of them and the miracle hasn't happened in your life and the pressure of the miracle not happening in your life makes you wonder if it's your faith problem or what did, did I miss the bus? The Bible says Jesus sees you. And Jesus has compassion on you. And he wants to shepherd you. I'd say it this way. He wants you to experience his tender touch. Would you pray with me that we'll let our hearts do that today? Lord, as we enter into a time in your word, I ask that you would impart a grace to everyone here but specifically to those who, through a long period of time, see themselves in a distance from healing and the healer. And I'm not talking predominantly about physical healing, although, of course, we are asking for that. But even deeper, the healing that's on the inside that no one sees we need, no one knows we need. I pray that they would have a fresh awakening of your tenderness for them. The world's tough, and there's no reason for the church to be tough, too. You desire to hold people, even men, to help them, to heal them. And as you said, with man, this is impossible. But as you also said, Lord Jesus, with God, all things are possible. So I pray that you would grant the possible in the midst of what seems impossible today, the healing of the human heart seems to be a lot more difficult than the healing of a body. The healing of the human heart, which is your specialty because you are the God of the heart. Touch ours. We welcome the streams of the beautiful person of the Holy Spirit who comes to do the ministry of Jesus in the present day church. And I believe that, and we welcome you to do it in Jesus' name, amen. Trauma. Trauma is more intense than trials. A trial can be anything as shallow as having to go to church in the rain. 
tribulation. Uh, trials can be just the, the stuff of life. Temptations and tests, we all have them. But trauma is more intense than that. Trauma is a deeply distressing, deeply disturbing experience that leaves you in a place of which you may feel marked for the rest of your life, may feel defined for the rest of your life, may be even a secret that you feel you have to hold in the rest of your life. Trauma is more intense than trials and tests. It's a deeply distressing, a deeply disturbing, and, and sadly and tragically, there are people And again, not all of us show it on the outside or talk about it, but there are people that have not only gone through one thing of trauma, but many things of trauma. I'm not talking about just having a tough day. I'm not talking about getting cut from the basketball team. I'm talking about stuff that just, I call it the kill shot. The kill shot. Stuff that takes people out of life and they still have to live in life. A hurt that's harmed your heart to the point where you don't say it outwardly, or maybe you do. Why, God? I can only articulate a very little of what I understand about all that. Some of us have had to go through things for a very long time that we seemingly look at others and they haven't had to go through that. Just that is a burden. Trauma. But Jesus promises his presence by the person of the Spirit to come and do a fresh work in our life. And I'm here to say, if this scripture is still true, he sees you. It's not that he overlooks the others. It's not that he's going, oh, you're good. I'm going to deal with you. You're in victory. Fine. See you later. Call me when you need. He loves all of us. But it's so important that I believe he wants to stop the process and really talk to people who are, have been through trauma, still carry it, and you wonder. You don't even want to wonder because you think you're not supposed to think this way as a Christian. But you wonder, why, God? The things that some of the people that I know have gone through, honestly, I hope I don't have to go through. And then there's some things I've gone through I hope you don't have to go through. But what I do know is, and I know this in my life, that trauma, God can use it to lead to a testimony because you're not defined by it. You're defined by the tenderness of the shepherd that is defining you as you walk in it through it, out of it. I want to talk about him. On September 11th, 2021, I made probably my third or fourth trip to the Flight 93 Memorial uh, up in Pennsylvania. And I always get moved by that. Afterwards, I went to a restaurant in Somerset right down from the place and I was sitting in a, in a, in a, at a table by myself and I was eating and there was a family uh, seated next to me, double tables, there were, there were so many of them. They were festive and nice and well, you could tell they were a warm, connected family, probably from the distance from me to, to Ollie there. And um, I heard them talking about Flight 93 Memorial and all that and, and all that. And as I do, I'm, I'm, I'm not an introvert. I'm, I'm not. I just, I can't even try. I don't, I don't. So I'm one of those, me too guy. Or I, you know, I, so I, it, when I was getting ready to leave, I just said, hey, excuse me. I, I just wanted to say that I was there today too. And, and I've been there a number of times and I was deeply moved. And this lady stood up a little bit older than me. And she said, and she reached out warmly and touched my hand. She said, hi, my name's Deborah. My daughter was on flight 93. And then I was just like, did you ever think, did I just say something real dumb? Like, oh boy, this deeply, you know what I mean? Like I did that. And I was like, oh. Deora Bodley was only 20 years old. A, A student at Santa Clara University had been to California and was going back to school, 
And I don't know if you know this story. She was the youngest, uh, youngest passenger on that flight by herself. And it, um, her, 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 her classmate was going to take that flight. And, and then something happened that the classmate couldn't go. And as fate had it, Diora got her seat. Deborah Borza, that's trauma. When she got the call that Diora was on that plane, she was at her Catholic church kneeling at an altar, praying to God for what was going on and for her daughter to be safe and miss that plane. She didn't miss it. I wonder if she just could have prayed a better prayer. Maybe she didn't have her daughter covered that day. Right? Isn't that all we have to do? Why? 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 Deborah became the catalyst that, do you remember the Flight 93 Memorial before they made it what it is today? I do. Deborah was the main catalyst to make it what it is today. That's who she is. And I had the privilege of meeting this woman in 2021 who warmly grabbed my hand and said, thank you for coming here. What do you do with that? I was so moved by that. Every year I think about it. I was supposed to be there. Trauma. Serious accidents that somebody doesn't come back from. Assaults. Betrayals. It's one thing for someone to talk bad about you. It's another thing for somebody that you deeply love and trust to betray you. Trauma. Abuse. Physical abuse. Sexual abuse. Sexual abuse in churches. Sexual abuse in homes. Sexual abuse in Christian homes. Sexual abuse in ministry homes. What do you do with that? Where you're told not to tell anybody because it could mess up the ministry or mess up the church or mess up dad or mess up. What do you do with that? Is there a song to fix that? Repeated tragic happenings to the same person over and over again. What's that person supposed to do when we say, hey, God won't give you more than you can bear? What do you do with that? Wait a minute, am I talking to the wrong crowd? Surely there isn't anybody in this room that hasn't experienced, or hopefully not, experiencing something like that. If these things are unprocessed and not dealt with, there will be things in all of our lives, Christians or not, that will trigger us Imageries, dreams, fears of numerous kinds that come out of nowhere, it can even cause us to become physically ill. Where the root is not the physical condition, the root is the trauma that came from something somewhere along the way that we didn't deal with. Why is there such things in the world? Some of the things that happen in the world that are causing a lot of young people, even in the church, to say, you know what? If there's a good God, there wouldn't be all this, so I'm out, just like the shark tank. I listened to your thing, but I'm out. Well, the biblical reason to explain it all behind the scenes, the big idea, is that we're in a great war. We're in a great war. A war before I was born, a war before you were born, a war before Adam was made. And that war continues, and we are in a war. And the curse of the fall is still current. It doesn't have to be current in my life. It doesn't have to be current in your life. But the curse of the fall is evident, right? Broken people, broken things, broken trusts, broken everything. Everything's broken. 
Innocence starts, but innocence gets stolen. Sadly, innocence can get stolen way too soon, and the devil doesn't play fair. He looks for the precious seed and waits for it to be born. That wasn't just with Jesus, that's with all of us. And most of the time, by the time we get to Jesus, we've already been marked. We've already been tattooed with the poison pen of the curse. I remember in the 90s when I was going through one of my things, working at social services and listening to the radio, and um, I remember a song by Sting that said, you could say I lost my faith in science and progress. You could say I lost my belief in the holy church. You could say I lost my sense of direction. You could say all of this and worse. Some would say I was a lost man in a lost world, and some would say I lost my faith in the people on TV. You could say I'd lost my belief in our politicians. They just seem like game show hosts to me. Amen, Sting. I could be lost inside their lies without a trace. They didn't go from a blessing to a curse. I never saw no military solution. They didn't always end up as something worse, but... Let me say this first. If I ever lose my faith in you, there'd be nothing left for me to do. And I remember hearing that and Christianizing that in my life because I was checking off the blocks in a lot of things that he was writing about and singing about. But I remember praying a prayer, sitting at a desk, helping some people out from the county that needed financial help and thinking to myself, God, please, I don't want to lose my faith in you. But what do you do for the people that say all that stuff and then they're thinking about their spouse or they're thinking about their boyfriend or their girlfriend or their parent and they think, well, at least dad or at least mom or at least Pastor Joe or at least this and then Pastor Bob and Pastor and mom and dad and then that's gone or your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your husband or your wife and that was the only thing you had faith in and then it's gone. Then what? Well, that's who these people were out in the fields and Jesus looks out over And he sees them. He sees them. And he has compassion for them because they're distressed, disturbed. They are helpless and harassed. And then he says they're like sheep without a shepherd. And what I said last week bears repeating again. These people were Bibleized. These people were pickled in Bible. These, this culture. Bibles every Bible, 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 synagogue, you had to. The Bible answers were there, and Jesus looks out. Bible teachers, rabbis everywhere, and Jesus looks out, and he goes, but they don't have the tender touch of God, my Father. They don't have a shepherd. See, when you go through the war and you're in the war, and even after the war, after the bombing, I'm reading a book about the bombing of London and Churchill standing up when nobody thought he was capable of leading and how he led. But the aftermath of the bombing of London, and, 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 and I was thinking about the aftermath and the residue, the wreckage. I'm thinking about Deborah sitting at that table and that family, and you can't tell me they haven't cried every tear that there's no tear left to cry, and haven't asked the what's and the why's and the how come and why nots and all those things. And yet here's this woman who warmly grabs my hand in a, in a, in a, in a I don't even know how you, you can't work that up. You can't work that up to then, in a redemptive way, do something that makes a memory, not only for her, but for all of the people and all the families. What it, that's like the testimony. But some of us never get to that because the wreckage and the residue and the aftermath, it's so chronic that, I don't know, maybe there might be one of you in here. You're just war-weary, I am st- if you're just one person, I'm stopping all of our plans and all of our progress and all of our when's the next and when's the next. I don't want to go anywhere because my heart can't get off whoever you are if you're just the one. I can't because Jesus is a, I told Jenna, I feel like Jesus, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even, I don't deserve to even stand here sometimes. Jesus is channeling for someone. Uh... You carry the following for a long time. Your kid's in addiction. Your spouse is still cheating. 
Your parents are in conflict and you look around the church and other families seem to have it all good and you know it's not good before you get in the door and when you go home and you're tired of it. And you have to keep quiet about it. Or maybe you've had a long battle with health. You do everything that you know to do. And you're war weary. Men and women who have to carry inside that their childhood was stolen. And now their parents, or they're not, because of the wreckage, and they're lone wanderers in God's family. And there's no outward sign by any of us. We can't tell. We can't see it. I mean, you don't walk into church every day and go, yeah, I am supposed to stop the train and say to you that the shepherd of your soul says, I see you. I have compassion for you. I want to help you. I want to touch your heart. See, when we go through these things, we have paradigm shifts. I, I like it when God gives you a good paradigm shift where you go, aha, I don't have to be dumb anymore. I love those kind. I need them regularly. But there are paradigm shifts that come from pleasure and from prosperity, and then things go the way they weren't supposed to, and then the paradigm shift is, is crafted out of pain, and then your mental maps change toward yourself, toward God, toward the church, toward people, toward others, and then that mental map becomes real, and it might not be real, but boy, it's real to you. And even though you might think it's not real, whenever anything happens, that map just gets right in front of you, and that's the way it is. We can have a why me paradigm. And, and I tell you this, there are seasons of life where demo, demonic entities watch for portals to open when we've been traumatized. So they, if they can't get into the soul, they get into your head and say, this is why. And the thing is, and it breaks my heart more and more, and I want it to break it more than it's breaking because I don't want to pass by people on the other side that are right in front of me, but I can't see them because I'm on my way to get even more cleaner with God at church. Why me? We have a redefinition of ourself over our trauma. We have a redefinition of the world over our trauma. We have a redefinition of the word over our trauma. Why now? What now? What do I do now? Who am I? There are a few kids walking around the country. Have you noticed? They don't know who they are, what they are. I don't say that to I'm not. That's no joke to me. That's a heartbreak to me. The church needs to quit laughing at stuff and start helping people. And the only reason some, some people, while well, I'm on my soapbox, the only reason why some people haven't had that bad trauma, it's not because of how good you've been. You've just been lucky. There's a deconstruction epidemic in the church world. Young people are walking away. And it's not just because of the contradictions they see in leadership in the church and in politics. It's also because our theologies are whacked and contribute to some of it. Who are you, God? Really? Are you a magician? Do you withhold from me if I don't say it right? If I don't ask it right, I mean, are you ready to help me, but then I don't pray it the right way? So you go, well, I would have loved to help him, but he doesn't know the secret code. The winds of teachings take sheep over here and then take sheep over here and the wind makes you think you're going toward the shepherd and the shepherd didn't move and we're moving all over the place, here to there to everywhere. Winds of teachings. I've had people ask me in the trauma, I thought it was supposed to be like, I've had people talk to me and say, I was always taught. I thought the Bible said, 
See what I'm saying? The residue where fear ofs dictate everything about your financial choices, about your relationship. Fear ofs. Fear of what was, fear of what is, fear of what could be. Fear ofs. Trust who? Trust what? Trust. See a politician come on there, and I'm not saying who I'm for. I don't know if I'm for anybody. I don't, but I wouldn't want it. I don't get it. But if someone looks out in the world and says, guys, you can trust me. I mean, you don't want to be snarky. Because there's part of you that goes, man, do I really want to? I really do. But we're on what, 45, 46? Where are we at, 40? How many? There's like, how about four of them? I mean, I don't know. And I say that with all respect. Trust what? Trust who? Hey, I grew up in a church that I fell in love with the pastor and, and, a, and a heart for the Lord. That sounded weird. I better watch what I said. I didn't mean that. I, I, meant, I meant by that that he was like Billy Graham to me. He was like the, the, a shepherd, like, unbelievable. And he poured his life into me. And then the church worked a plan and got him out of there. And that was the board, that was, my, that was my impression of board. So when I became a pastor and had to have a first board meeting, I thought I was going into Dealey Plaza in a car without the bulletproof thing on top. Because the only thing I knew about boards was they, they're placed there to get rid of the pastor. So I went into that first board meeting so jacked up, I was like, and I was thinking about, you know, the Pharisees. We always knock on the Pharisees. The Pharisees were just traumatized spiritual leaders that had had uh, passed on to them the judgment of God that came upon their fathers for idol, worshiping idols, being banished to Babylonian captivity, who came back and, and vowed to never let that happen again. So they not only had the law of God, they added 600 more pieces to the law. So not only would you not break out of the fence, you had 600 other fences you had to break through in order to break the fence. So they put all that in. And by the time of Jesus, that was gospel then. And so when Jesus didn't wash his hands when he ate, think of that. Someone told me one time that their church split because they moved the piano five inches. <laughs> Woo! Reaching the world for Christ. <laughs> so you can pass a generational trauma onto your kids, onto younger ministers, onto a city, onto a church, onto a nation. But I said all that in the first 25 minutes. Now, for those of you who are from Episcopalian, Lutheran, Catholic, here's where we're going to differ. Because <laughs> when I said 25 minutes, we're out of here in five, throw five. Take another drink of your coffee. You know. There. <laughs> yeah. There's an alternative. There's an alternative. Let's talk about the alternative. How do we experience the tender touch? How do we process through these things? And I hesitate to talk like this because I've had people tell me their story and it's way and, and I don't want to just say, well, here's what. Here's a book. Here's a pamphlet. Here's a t-shirt. I'll send you off to this. I respect the depth of the dark places you've been. Because you've respected mine. And here's what I'm learning. God, God took me from a me to them preaching the, to them, there's the me and then there's the you, there's the, the me, then there's the them, there's the good guys, then there's those guys and all that. And then God allows things to happen in your life where you just realize it's all a big we. So we need to open ourselves. 
I know, that's hard, right? It's not hard for some people because they've never had their head blown off. They've never looked at, experienced things, but we need to, and only God can help us do this, open ourselves. The natural thing to do is close up shop. If no one's going to protect you, you're going to protect yourself. You're going to go down. It's going to be you. It's not... So we have to open ourselves. But even to go more specifically there, open yourself to the Lord on the floor. What's that mean? Remember the John 13 story? Where, you know, they've seen Jesus in majesty and power and driving out demons. And I love that scene in The Chosen where Jesus drives the demon out of that guy and the guy playing John the Baptist in the background goes, yeah, I love that. Don't you love those Jesus scenes? Boom, I'd like to see those things. But this is different. This was, a, this was something that triggered Simon. It triggered the guys. You don't come to us like that. Jesus takes his outer garments off, wraps a towel, gets down on the floor, fills a basin with water, and begins on his knees to go around and wash the disciples' feet. He's giving them an imagery that in order for me to change you, you have to allow me, you have to give me permission to come toward you from below up. What? God is up. I'm below. If there's anyone that should be below, I'm the below. Look how my life's been. Everybody's telling me, if you would have this, it wouldn't have happened. If you would have that, it would, what? Pushback. Don't feel bad about your pushback. It's a natural thing to push back even God when, I know, when God allowed it to happen to you. So opening ourselves up isn't easy. But Jesus brings his tender touch from the floor, not from the sky. You don't understand what I'm doing right now. Hey, when you're in trauma, I'm, on that, I'm in that club, right? Everybody says, how you doing? I'm like, I don't know. I don't have a clue how I'm doing. I'm about to be as crazy as a loon. How are you doing? How are you doing? Don't, when you're in trauma, don't you love that question? You just want to wear a sign that says, the next person that asks me how I'm doing, I'm going to show you how I'm doing. Right. <laughs> how are you doing? Well, the Lord brings his tender touch from up under. What's that mean? It means that he really, we really have to receive that he, in spite of all, really does see me and has unearned compassion for my life. When we say receive the tenderness of Jesus, that sounds real easy until you're in trauma. And when you're in trauma, it seems real hard. But it's so important that we know the real character and nature of Jesus. Here's what I believe. Our sanity and our health of our soul depends completely on knowing the true character of Jesus. In order to be healed, we have to let him come up from the floor. And when he comes up from the floor, he brings tender truth to us. Tender truth. Deliverance might be quick, but restoration might be lengthy. And so we need his truth. And listen, the, the Lord's truth is honest, but it's never brutal. God help us. Man, that truth, tell it. Sometimes I don't get jazzed when people are saying, tell it. I think, are you messed up like me? Tender truth isn't weak. Tender truth is the wealth of heaven. It's honest, but it's not brutal. He doesn't upbraid us for the condition we're in. Our healing depends on believing Jesus has a heart like that. Are you with me? Anyone still with me? Okay. So his truth is honest, but it's not brutal. But his truth is tension-specific. 
he goes to that place and he puts tension in it, specifically. Tension specific because I have to break through. He has to break me out. So he's got to put pressure. Listen, and if we use Bible verses thinking we're speaking faith to deny the reality of our wound, the Bible verse won't help. Because the Lord at times has created the tension-specific situation to bring to the surface what needs to be broken in my life. And so my prayer needs to be, break my heart, Lord, if need be, but if you break it, break it free. I want to show you, in light of that, now let this verse speak to your heart. Jesus says, come to me. And he invites everybody, but specific invitation goes out to these. All who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke on you, my yoke, and learn from me. How do you know it's he, he's teaching you? Because the teaching will be gentle and up from the floor. Do you know why people love the chosen? Because they're portraying a very beautiful portrait of the heart of Jesus. And you'll find rest for your souls. Why? My yoke is, say it. And my burden is what? Imagine the difference. Now, the Lord told me to read it again and resist the quick fix interpretation because it doesn't happen once. Come to me, da 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 We come to him, and I don't have much rest. Come to me, and I take my, I still feel more of my yoke than his yoke. This is a process passage. Come to me, keep coming to me, bring your war weary. Every time you're triggered, every time the why God, why me, who am I, what am I, why did they this, every time I want to step back instead of step up, every time I get gripped by something other than faith and it's real and it's real and it's real, come to me. All of you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give, take my yoke on you. Boy, the yoke you have, I have a lighter one. And I'm not coming from down, I'm coming down, for, I'm down where you are. I'll go with you to, the, to, to see the psychiatrist, I'll go with you to the cancer treatment. I'll go with you to lay in that MRI. I'll go with you. I'll go with you. I know you didn't want to go to the divorce court. I know you, did. I know you prayed. I know everybody's praying. And here it is. I'll go with you. I really wish, the, I really re wish the world was Christians aren't supposed to, so it wasn't. That's what I really wish. But what is true is It's a we. Hebrews 4. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. When I needed to get a job at social services, I went in for an interview. I had a bachelor's degree in ministerial studies. Usually that doesn't get you a job anywhere. So I go in, and I'm thinking going into the interview, talking to the director of Allegheny County Department of Social Services. They saw my degree, saw what it was in, and they said, uh, okay, we're asking me questions. And they asked me a question that got me the job. The Lord does that. She said, what do you think the word sympathy means? I said, well, I think it means to feel somebody's need just like you're in their skin. I didn't make that up. I studied the scriptures and knew that's what it meant. My uh, supervisor later, who was a believer, pulled me aside and said, come in, Tim. She goes, do you know why you got the job? Because your answer on sympathy. You walked out and the director went, wow, let's hire him. 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. You know what, though? Here, here's the thing. We can have all the theology down, all the doctrine down. Well, sympathy means this. I can quote it from the message in the NIV and the non-NIV and the American Standard Version and the non-American Standard Version. I can do old King James, new King James, was King James, all that, and know everything about it and not have any sympathy in our life. So open yourself. And then set yourself. Set yourself in a healthy house. Allegheny Magazine, and I only bring it up, I, I'm bringing this up again because of something that God's saying to me about it. I don't know who voted for that. I don't know why we, we were voted to the most favorite place to worship in Allegheny County. I don't know all that. But here's what I do know. If, God, if that happened, God did that for a reason. And here's what it does to me. To whom much is given, much is required. If people think, well, let's go check that out. When they walk in the door, I want, I want people to meet the most down-to-earth, as normal as we possibly can be. <laughs> Work on it. <laughs> Who don't have anything to show or anything to prove. We're all in this thing going, you know what? We're, we, we, we all need the Jesus that... That's what I call that a grace church. When Barnabas, in, in the early part of Acts, goes to Antioch, this great move of God took place in the city of Antioch by these unnamed followers of Jesus that went there and preached the kingdom. And this massive work of God begins to happen in this Gentile city of Antioch. And Barnabas, whose name wasn't Barnabas, his name was Joseph. He was from Cyprus, but he had the nickname because in the church, he looked like a son of encouragement. Can you imagine someone naming you that because of how you live? Joseph of Cyprus, his name was Barnabas by the church. Barnabas went and witnessed the grace of God on that church, and he thought of somebody. I know this newly, radically converted, former thorny Pharisee named Saul, who is now a thorny Christian. He got a whole lot of Jesus, but it didn't come with a bunch of grace. And he was contesting against Jesus, and then he went in the synagogue contesting for him, and both got him in trouble. And then he got sent home, he was on the shelf. And you know what? There are some lessons that if we don't learn them, it doesn't matter if we've seen the third heaven. We know this guy, that guy, and they have people pulling for us. If there are lessons in the kingdom that until we pass them, we will sit on the sidelines even if we're leading something. You can lead something and do something and not have the touch of God. But you can learn a lesson and nobody knows you learned it and immediately God will launch something in your life because you're finally at a place he can trust you with the anointing he puts you on. So, almost done, almost done. So Barnabas witnesses this church and he says, I know somebody that needs this and he goes and gets Saul of Tarsus and for a number of years they spend time there and you know what Saul did in that church? He just stewarded the offering. He'd already seen Jesus in resurrected, exalted form. Simon Peter hadn't seen that. John James, only, only Saul of Tarsus. Wouldn't you think he was ready to be on TBN? <laughs> nope. Offering. A couple years. And then he got into an into a inner circle prayer group, a prophetic prayer group, as he served faithfully, and the Spirit of God spoke. That's who you want to call you into the ministry, by the way. The Spirit of God spoke and said, separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work I've called them to. Barnabas and Saul. Some people will never be used greatly by God until they can handle being second fiddle instead of first chair. And sometimes the reason we want to be first chair is because we're not over the trauma. We need a healthy house and then healthy people in the house because you know what? We're not fixers. We're not fault finders. We're fellow healing folks. Favor givers, celebrating recovery of one another. And I'll tell you what, Monday night's a good place to start. Yeah. 
Celebrate recovery is a great place to start. Set yourself in a healthy house. I hope this is a healthy house. And then set yourself in the I wills of the Lord. The I wills of the Lord are those places of recovery passages throughout the Bible where he says, I know you this, but you turned your heart to me. All I ask you to do is turn your heart to me. You turn your heart to me, I will this, I will that, I will this, I will that. And those I wills are awesome. Those I wills, I began to just plant my feet in them over the last three years. And those I wills of the Lord replaced my sorrow and my fear with great hope, but not just for me, but for you. Here's one of the I wills. And I'm going to close with this, guys, I think. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. After I do this passage, would you jump down to where I have he heals trauma, and then we'll close. Got it? Everybody give it up for those guys up there. No one pays... No one pays attention to him until something goes wrong. That's that's the way it works. (laughs) Joel says, here's God. God says, I will make up to you for the years the locust has eaten from your life. Who said that? God said that. But you know what he said before that? He said, turn your heart to me, not your garments. Don't come religiously Come with your life. Turn your heart. Remember I preached a few weeks ago, throw your heart at Jesus. Just throw your heart right at him. Here it is. Here's my heart. Turn to me through your heart. And he goes, then I will make up to you the years the locust has eaten. And on down, thus you will know that I am the Lord in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is no other and my people will never be put to shame. This is God's heart for you. This is his heart for you. I'm going to close with this one. Would you stand, please? He heals trauma. You might, you might, want, to, you might want to grab this one. He, we're, going to, we're going to have time to prayer. He heals trauma. He heals trauma in tender truth and soothing communion. Oh, Holy Spirit, I pray you'd activate the word of God right now like like never before in the, in the shift and the change. May we stay focused on the ministry of the, of the vials, of the vials of healing oil that you want to drop down into the crevices of our lives that go into the dungeons and the caverns locked. He heals trauma and tender truth and soothing communion, and he places us in the pulsating soil of Eden-like beginnings where healing streams run to our souls. I want you to see yourself. Would you close your eyes, please, and open your heart to the Lord? I want you to, I want you to see yourself in Eden-like soil. I want you to see yourself in the beautiful garden of the Lord because Jesus takes us back to Eden. You're in the soil of, that's pulsating, enriched with eternal life. And the Bible says that outside of the garden... The garden, the garden was, was, uh, was fed, the soil in the Garden of Eden was fed by the streams that came from the great rivers and flowed into that garden. I want you in your war-weary state, in your pain, in your... to see yourself standing in pulsating soil that is nothing but new beginnings. Genesis is about new beginnings. And in the land of Eden, everything in there came from nothing by man's generation. It came from God. And so in that soil, in that place where your feet are, enriched in that soil, I want you to see by faith those healing streams of the Holy Spirit just flowing into your life. And his love for you can get you through anything, friend. Just get your feet get wet. His love for you will get you through everything. His love. His love. You're standing in it right now. Heavenly Father, I pray that right now that you would activate in this church a grace that, 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 that's released upon the hurting. Those who are listening by podcast today or tomorrow or next week or next month, those who are watching the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who have been watching 
Sunday morning. Wherever you are, friend, brother, pastor, sister, wherever you are in America or in Europe or wherever you are, and we'll never meet maybe, I'm praying right now. I want you to know that Jesus is saying he sees you, he knows you, and he wants your feet in the pulsating, enriched soil of new things and let your feet get wet. Let the, let, he's down on the floor. He wants to wash your feet in the streams of the Holy Spirit that will permeate your life. Lord, I pray that for everybody here. I pray for people that are war-weary, people that have been through long seasons. God, I pray that they'd find a time, not the only time, but a a time of times of refreshing to come from the presence of the Lord. Now listen, you can receive that where you are, but listen, here's what I found out. When I, when, if, if, some, if, if something moves in my heart to say, man, you need to, you need to walk out this. You need, to, you need to take a step. You need to, these altars, there's a lot of room here. Actually, you could lay down on the floor right here and somebody else could lay down on the floor. You, we could get two people laying. Like, I mean, there's a lot of room here. And you're not coming to me. I don't have any. I'm just, but if you, if you, if you just want to say, God, I, I just want to be like that leper. I, just, I want to be like that woman that said, if I just touch, and yeah, you can right there. Yeah, you can watch it in your house. But man, I just, like if it was me, I was there right now. If I, 30 years pastoring, ordained, whatever. If I was out there right now, I would, as soon as, you, as, soon as this guy would stop, I would, I would be at, at the altar just once again saying, Lord, I... I'm in the we. If nothing else, I, I want to have a compassionate heart toward people that are deeply traumatized and broken. Please help me to be that way. And so I just opened the altars for you, and I believe that God is going to meet you with his tender touch today. Lord, do that, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.